All right. So, however, I won't start exploring, or we've started exploring some of the concepts of prayer and how it greatly influences the way we, we do life and the way we do um, we carry out business on this earth. All right. So, from what we started with last week, we saw that prayer um, can be uh, prosecuted in three dimensions. Uh, we said one is the father, um, friend, and, and the judge. What this means is that when Jesus Christ explained prayer and when he introduced prayer to his disciples, he did that using three instances. Um, the instance of the father, right, where we explain how that um, in that context we are dependent on God, or we, are reliant, we are relying on God's benevolence, God's benevolence to us, um, where God is the one giving to us and we are, we are just receiving, okay? And that's that is where all prayer starts from, starts from the foundation of our relationship with God as our Father. And without that relationship, prayer cannot be, uh, cannot be experienced. Then we now move on to see there's also the experience of prayer in, in the context of a friend. And what we emphasized on last week was the fact that even though, um, I mean, from the example Jesus Christ gave, even though this friend came to his own friend in the middle of the night, um, the friend said that the reason why I'm going to attend to you is not because you are my friend. The reason why I'm going to attend to you is because of your persistence. And what we emphasized last week was that persistence, um, shameless, um, re re shameless insistence on, on, on a particular thing. And we said that a time will come where we have to move in our dimension of prayer, move from just the cozy experience of God being our father we now move to we now need to move to the place where we are insistent upon God's will um, for our lives. All right, and then the third aspect which we <clears throat> we started last week but we couldn't finish as uh, the aspect of of um, prosecuting prayer with praying to God rather as as a judge. And that's a very broad um, broad dimension, and that's what we want to continue looking at today. And just thinking about it, there was a series of messages I listened to last year. And um, the topic is courtroom, courtroom prayers, yeah. And it's on YouTube, actually. It's a great, great sermon um, by, by a man of God. I've forgotten his name now, an American minister. And he really explains certain concepts, um, certain concepts about the courtroom of heaven. And it's, it's really vast, right? So today, we want to go in and, and begin to look at this. So I want to start from something I started last week. And um, that's found in the book of Isaiah, chapter 54, verse 17. Isaiah, chapter 54, and verse 17. All right, Isaiah 4, verse 17. If you're there, you can read for us. It's a familiar verse of scripture. Anyone there? Isaiah 54, verse 17. But in the coming day, no weapon turned against you will succeed. You will silence every voice raised up to accuse you. These benefits are enjoyed by the servants of the Lord. Their vindication will come from me. I, the Lord, have spoken. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you, Ida. So, I mean, the King James, I'm just quote from King James because it's quite popular. So King James says, no weapon formed against you shall prosper. Then he goes on to say, any tongue that rises, rises up against you in judgment will be condemned. So this explains to this presents us two um, dimensions of, of spiritual warfare or spiritual activities. The first dimension that we see here in this scripture is where it says, No weapon formed against you. So this is what I call now. This is my personal. Not what I, we ask for 
their souls. We ask for criminal terminology, right? Um, and and I call it the militant dimension of of spiritual warfare, where it says no weapon formed against you. And this is the dimension of warfare that a lot of Christians are familiar with. So where you see Christian binding and losing and calling out the fire of God and you know rebuking the devil and all the all the militant approach to warfare. That's what this first dimension talks about. So where it says no weapon formed against you. So the weapons of, of the enemy. And when we read the Bible um, in in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4, it lets us know that the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. So our warfare has weapons, right? And that's something we must we must agree with. That the Bible says the weapons of our warfare, they are not carnal, but they are mighty through God to the pulling down of stronghold. And then it goes on and on. So in spiritual warfare, there's the aspect where we where we where we apply the weapons of our warfare, meaning the militants, the, the arsenal, the, the armory that we have as Christians. Okay. So that's one dimension. However, there's another dimension of spiritual warfare, and it is the legal dimension of spiritual warfare. And last week I explained to us that if a country is going into war with another country, before, so let's say, let's assume Nigeria is going to, into war with another enemy nation. Before the soldiers of Nigeria would move um, into battle, there has to be an executive order from from either the presidency or from the Senate House or from whatever body has the constitutional right to authorize the army into that battle. So the army doesn't just go into the battle because it's an interesting battle. In fact, the army doesn't go into the battle because they are sure that they will win the battle. If Nigerian's army, for instance now, has um, a strength of, of 50,000 soldiers and the enemy has uh, only 1,000 soldiers, the, yet the Nigerian army doesn't have the right to go because it seems like it ought to be an automatic victory. The only way the army will be able to go forward into that battle is when there's an executive order, there's a legal um, permission given to the army to go into that battle. And that's what we, what we talk about for, um, in terms of the legal dimension of spiritual warfare, that before we even have the right to prosecute our, our arsenal and deploy our spiritual forces and armory, there has to be a legal basis for, for doing what we do. And if we don't secure the legal basis for, for all of that, what will happen is that we'll keep on, we'll keep on sending out militant forces, I mean spiritually now, and we'll keep on doing that in circles. So we'll keep on rebuking and binding a particular thing and it will not go. We'll keep on um, calling down the fire of God on a particular matter and it will not change. The reason is because there's no legal backing for what we are doing, all right? And, and the Bible says in First Peter chapter 5, verse 9, it says that your adversary, the devil, okay, is like a royal lion looking for who to devour. We're going to, re, we're going to revisit this verse of scripture, but just to, to point to you that the word adversary means an opponent in battle, an opponent in lawsuit, sorry. It means an opponent in lawsuit. So the, the Bible describes the devil using very legal terms. And it says he's, he's, he's as a royal lion moving about looking for who to devour. Praise God. All right, so yeah, that's what we looked at last week. And I want us to continue from, from where we stopped, okay? Now, to proceed further in this conversation, I want us, want us to look at two examples in scriptures about um, transactions that happened, legal transactions that happened in heaven, all right? Legal transactions that happened in heaven and the, the resultant effect on earth. Never forget this, that everything that happens on the earth is as a result of a spiritual operation, all right, and 
there has to be legal basis in the realm of the spirit for certain things to occur on the earth. Meaning that even for Christ to have come on the earth, they had to be, God had to follow a legal pathway for Jesus Christ to come. Jesus Christ, even though he was the son of God, couldn't just drop down from heaven on the earth and say, I'm going to save all men. He couldn't do that. He had to follow a legal process that God himself instituted. So he had to be born of a woman, even though not from the union of a man and a woman. He had to be born from a woman. However, he had to grow up. He had to walk the earth. And even at that, he had to die for his work to be completed. So there's always a legal framework for everything that happens on earth. All right, what that means is that if you check your life right now and see anything that is going on in your life that it's not consistent with the will of God, then I can tell you that there's a spiritual legal um, um, legal protocol that has been employed that guarantees what is going on in your life. And to, for you to change it, you, you need to also go through a legal pathway. And this is one of the things we're going to look at today. We're going to look at how to persecute legal matters spiritually and how to resist the devil. But let's look at two examples um, about legal transactions in, in scriptures. So number one, let's go to the book of Job. Job chapter one. Job chapter 1, verse 6 to 12. Job chapter 1, verse 6 to verse 12. So if you're there, please go ahead and read for us. And tell us what translation you're reading from. Job chapter 1, verse 6 to 12. Um, anyone there? Or do I go ahead? All right, let me read. It says, now... There was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. Let me pause here and say something that remember last week we mentioned that um, among all the all the dimensions of prayer, among the three dimensions of prayer, um, the only dimension of prayer that Satan seems mm -hmm. to have the legitimate um, access to be involved in that transaction one, two, three, four. This dimension of, um, is this dimension of prayer, right? The dimension of prayer, um, the legal dimension of prayer, that's one dimension where it seems like the devil is fully present in that conversation. And even this probably saw that in this verse where we read that this day when the sons of God, um, that's referring to angels and to um, spirit, spirit beings, they came to present themselves to God. And the Bible says, uh, in heaven, this was in heaven, no, this was the heaven that, that Satan has been, had been cast away from, right? This same heaven, the Bible says that Satan came and was also among them. And, and God did not send Satan away. That means Satan had the right to be in that conversation, okay? Now look at verse 8. And the Lord said unto Satan, um, has thou considered my servant Job and there's, um, that there's none like him in the earth, perfect and an upright man that fears God and fears God and eschewed evil. Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear you for nothing? Has thou not made a hedge around him and about his house and about all that he hath on every side and had blessed the work of his hands and his substance is increased in the land? Now let's take a pause here first. Um, the Bible says that. Um, um, Satan had been going to and fro the earth, right? And verse 7, um, God spoke to Satan and says, where are you coming from? And Satan says, um, from going to and fro the earth, walking up and down about it. Now, that sounds very familiar like, um, to, what, um, to what Peter told us in 1 Peter chapter 5, 
verse verse eight and verse nine, where Peter said, "Your enemy, um, your, the devil, your enemy, is as a roaring lion looking for who to devour." So that's that's that um, movement looking for who to devour. That's exactly what Satan was doing. And when God asked him and says, um, "Where are you coming from?" Satan said, "Oh, I'm going. I'll be coming from to and fro the earth." And then God said, "Have you considered Job?" One saying this is just to show you that it's that his movement is a is a legal movement and it's actually a movement looking for who to devour. So he had been moving to and fro the earth looking for who was vulnerable enough for him to devour. How and so God said, Oh, have you in all your movement have you seen Job? And 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 um devil said to, to God and said, Of course, I've seen Job that um that I've seen Job, I know he's righteous and upright and everything that, but he's not serving you for nothing. It's because you put a hedge around him. Meaning the devil knew that he did not have any legal right to inflict Job because of what God had done for Job, because of the protective measure that God had put in place. All right. And so verse um, 10 says, has thou not made a hedge around him and about his house and all that he has on all sides and moves on um, to verse 11. He says, but put forth thine hand now and touch all that he hath, and he will cause thee to thy face. And the Lord said unto Satan, Behold, all he hath is in thy power. So God was now giving the devil legal rights to inflict Job. Okay? But he gave him a condition. He says, Only upon himself put not forth thy hand. That means that the devil had the right to touch anything about Job. His property, his children, his wealth, his health. However, he didn't have the right to touch his life. And I want to just pause and think about how powerless the devil is in the light of God's um, God's instructions. That if the devil was as powerful as many people have, have hyped him to be, none of us would be in, in existence today. If left to the devil alone, he would have wiped all of us. But because God has placed a hedge, God had given a decree that says you cannot touch this person, you cannot touch my daughter, you cannot touch my son. And so the devil cannot go beyond um, his, his, the legal access that he has, all right? And um, um, so verse, still verse 12 says, so Satan went forth from the presence of the Lord. And then the story continues to let us know that in one day, a lot of catastrophe happened to, to Job. What I, want, what I want us to see here is that <clears throat> before anything physical happened to Job, there was a spiritual legal um, transaction that happened. And this transaction is a courtroom operation. And it is only in this kind of operation that we see the devil present in heaven, um, as it were. Only in the courtroom transactions that we see the devil present. Because if you look at a typical courtroom, um, an ethnic courtroom, for instance, there is the judge, um, there's the defendant, there's the, so I don't know the exact words, permit me now, but there's a person that is being accused and there's a person that's accusing. So there's the accuser and then there's the um, accusee, if there's a word like that. All right, and so it, so it is also in the court of heaven. The judge is there, um, which who is God Himself. The pe person who is accused is there, and then of course the accuser, the enemy, is always around. All right, so it is only in that context that we see the devil present, and it's important to understand how these kind of legal conversations happen in heaven, so that we know how to present our case, we know how to plead our case in the court of heaven, and you know, like I said last week. Even though God is our father, right, quite all right, and in that dimension of prayer, we enjoy his fellowship as our father. But when we come to the legal aspect of prayer, 
we don't come to God as our father. I mean, just think about this. We, we, we come to God as our judge. And so the way we, we approach him, the uh, modalities, the, the manner of approach in the courtroom is different from the manner of approach when we are having an intimate time with the father. So take, for instance, I gave this example last week. Imagine my father is a judge. Maybe he's the senior advocate of Nigeria. He's the chief judge, um, chief justice of Nigeria, all right, or chief justice of whatever country you are in. And then even though at home we can talk, we can eat on the same table, you know, we share a meal together, we talk about our day. If I am ever brought to court for any reason, I can't go to my father's, um, I can't go to my father who is the judge and say, oh, daddy, um, can you give me your pen? Let me just, you know, write some things down. I'm like, oh, daddy, um, I'm actually hungry. Can you pass me? Do you have a snack beside you? I can't do that in court because the, the environment is different. The context is different. So if I need to plead my case in the court, even though my father is the judge, I need to be, I need to be intelligent enough to present my case and, um, um, and approach it in a manner that is consistent with the courtroom, okay? So this is what we want to look at today. So Job could um, only be afflicted because a legal transaction had gone on in heaven and God had given the devil the, the right legally to inflict Job up to a certain extent, but he didn't have the right to touch his life, all right? Now, I want us to read this passage of scripture I've been quoting. First Peter chapter 5, verse 8 and 9. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8 and 9. Now, by the way, before we leave the story of Job, um, you know, some people, some people say and they become afraid that, oh, if God could, if um, Job could have to go through all, through all he went through, that means I shouldn't serve God too much so that one day God wouldn't boast about me and then the devil will come for my life. That doesn't have hold. That doesn't count. All right. Um, and your 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 if you use that as an excuse not to be deep in God, then you are already in a you are already in a big problem. Because um, remember, the devil is as a royal lion looking for who to give up. So your your defense is in your debt in God. If you are vulner, vulnerable, you are already a, a, a meat to the enemy. All right. So I just want to mention that. So first Peter chapter 5, verse 8, verse 8 and 9. Um, somebody can read for us if you are there. First Peter, where are you? First Peter 5, 8 and 9. Stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Stand firm against him and be strong in your faith. Remember that your Christian brothers and sisters all over the world are going through the same kind of suffering you are, is NLT. Thank you, thank you, Dara. So I want to extract some words, right? Um, and let me permit me to read from the King James Version. So it says, be sober, be vigilant, and tells us, it says we should be watchful, we should be alert, that's what it means. Um, be, be conscious, you know, the Bible says we're not unaware of the schemes, or, and, uh, the schemes and the devices of the enemy. What that means is that one of the powerful tools of the devil is deception. And so for you to not be deceived, you need to be alert because the devil doesn't come, he doesn't come to you in an obvious manner that you know is the devil. He comes to you very subtly. And you see that right from the book of Genesis and all through scriptures. So because of the nature, of this, because of the deceptive nature of the enemy, the Bible now gives us the caution that we need to be alert, we need to be sober, we need to be vigilant. Uh, we need to be, I mean, what, what, the word that comes to my mind is, um, think about vigilante. Right, how that at night they are they are they go to um, go um, around the area around the environment. They have patrols 
looking out for danger. That's what the Bible is saying we should do. Because of the deceptive nature of the devil, we need to be aware and alert. He now tells us the reason again. He says, because your adversary, the devil. Now, the, the word adversary there in the Greek refers to an opponent in the lawsuit. So assuming I, um, I have a lawsuit against someone, right? He, the person that is my opponent is now my adversary. So it is not adversary in terms of a militant warfare. It is adversary in terms of a legal battle, all right? So it says be vigilant because your adversary, that's the person that is legally your opponent, right? It now says your adversary, the devil. Again, the word the devil there is translated as the accuser, all right? So joining these two meanings together, it will read that um, be vigilant, be sober, because your your adverse, your legal opponent in the court, who is your accuser, is looking for who to divorce. What that implies is that the way the devil is, the way the devil divorces people is by legal accusations. Let me take that again. The way the devil divorces people is by legal accusations. So if the devil wants to bring down a man, for instance. He doesn't start bringing the man down by sending demons to attack him and, and press him in the night. That's not how he starts. He starts bringing the man down by having illegal accusations against him. He looks for something in the man's life that forms a basis for him to have a voice or have a case in the court of, of, of heaven. Right? And based on that, that legal grounds, he begins to accuse the man. He begins to bring forth accusation. And if the person is not, is not aware of the legal schemes of the devil, that accusation can prolong. That's why the Bible says in Isaiah 54, verse 17, where we read, it says, no weapon formed against you will prosper. That's one part. He now says, and any tongue that rises up, rise up against you in judgment. So the devil raises up a tongue. I mean, he's the, devil, the devil is the tongue that speaks in judgment against you. The Bible says that we are the ones to condemn. So if we don't play our part in resisting the devil, which is what verse 9 tells us to do, it says, whom you resist steadfast in faith. And um, before we finish this study today, we're going to look at how to resist the devil. But just to know that the devil bring the devil divorce people by legal accusations. He doesn't divorce people by saying, oh, I want to bring down, um, I'm going to send demons against you first. That's not the first thing he does. The first thing he does is looks for legal accusations before he now attacks you um, um, in, a, in a militant warfare um, way. Praise Jesus. All right, so let's look another. Let's look at another example. Zechariah chapter three. We will just read verse one and two. Zechariah um, chapter three, verse one and two. Zechariah chapter three, verse one and two. So I mean, you see that um, that this accusation is not only is not an Old Testament thing, like some people say. They say, "Oh no, it only happened to Job because because um, Job was under the Old Covenant." And by the way, just so you know. The book of Job was way old, it's probably the oldest book in the Bible, as theologians tell us. And it was written way before we even had um, the law and the prophet, before Moses wrote the, um, presented the law and all of that. So the book of Job, the book of Job doesn't fall under the law, okay? So for people saying, oh, did what happened in the book of Job only happened because um, he was under the law. Job was not under the law, all right? Um, so yeah, so it's not a, and again, we see this in the New Testament, but um, the book of Peter pretty much tells us, refers to Satan in, in the exact way he was presented in the book of Job. So it is not just an Old Testament thing. It, the devil is the devil, whether in the New Testament or the Old Testament. Praise God. All right, Zechariah chapter three, uh, verse one and two. 
Anyone can read for us. All right. Um, I'm reading from the NLT version. All right. And it goes, um, then the angel showed me Joshua, the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord. The accuser, Satan, was there at the angel's right hand, making accusations against Joshua. And the Lord said to Satan, I, the Lord, reject your accusations, Satan. Yes, the Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebukes you. This man is like a burning stick that has been snatched from the fire. Joshua's clothing was filthy as he stood there before the angel. Praise God. Praise God. Thank you. Thank Amen. you so much. Um, so we see another, another context. And I mean, think about this very well. This, is, this happened in heaven. The Bible says that uh, this was a vision that, well, this was an experience that Zechariah had, all right? And in this experience, Zechariah was taken to heaven and he saw Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord. And Satan was also there present. I mean, you would expect that if Satan is there, he should be rebuked and cast away. That what does he have in heaven? Again, like I said, this is one of the experiences in prayer where um, the, it seems the devil has a has a place, has a right to be there because it is a courtroom session. This is beyond just normal prayers. It is a courtroom experience. And like I said, in the courtroom, the accuser has every right to be there. And um, I like the ve um, version that Tosin read, NLT, and it says that the accuser, the devil, was also present making accusations. Just like I told us, the devil divorced people by accusing them, by, by laying accusations against them, all right? And so this was another example of, of a courtroom session. Now, I, we wouldn't go into the details today, uh, but I encourage you to read from verse 1 to the end. That's verse 10. It gives you an insight as to the transactions that, that went on there. But I just wanted to point out to us that there are experiences, there are, there are courtroom experiences, and we need to be intelligent enough spiritually to know what experiences are courtroom experiences and then what experiences are, are normal experiences, all right? Because if you keep on binding and rebuking the devil over a matter that should be legally handled, then you experience fr frustration because the devil will not budge, the devil will not move, he, won't go, he wouldn't go anywhere, all right? Because the devil knows, he knows the legal framework of the spirit realm and he would use that as an advantage to himself. And even God himself, remember, God is a righteous judge. And there's something also I, I didn't mention last week, is that in the context of praying to God as a father, it's very intimate. God is our father. God is not the father of the whole world. He's the father of everyone that is a Christian that is born again. Um, um, in relating with um, God as a friend, God is not a friend of everybody. God is only a friend to those that are his friends, all right? But when it comes to the matter of him being a judge, the Bible says he's the judge of the whole earth. He's not just the judge of Christians alone. He's the judge of the whole earth. And let me tell you the implication of this of that statement. What that means is that when a matter is presented before God, if the person at fault is a Christian, God will have to rule against the person who is a Christian. Do you understand? And that's why we must also know how to plead. And whenever we see that we're at fault, we must know how to plead for mercy in the courts of heaven. Okay? Because God is not just a judge of Christians, like I said. He's the judge of the whole earth. And as a, he's not just a judge, he's a righteous judge. Meaning if someone is at fault, even if the person is a star, he has to execute justice justice and judgment accurately. If not, his um, position as judge would, uh, you know, be questioned. 
right? So I just want to point that out. Uh, praise God. Okay, so we've seen two examples of, of courtroom cases. Number one is the book of Job. Number two is the, um, is the book of Zechariah. All right? Now, I want to show us something about this legal <clears throat> about this legal realm, and I will show us an example afterwards. So let's turn to the book of Proverbs, chapter 26, verse 2. Proverbs 26, verse 2. I hope you guys are learning something. Um, please, if you have questions, as always, you can ask at the end of this class. And just like I said last week, all through this series, we will end the series with prayer. So today we're going to pray also, and powerful prayer. So please stay with me. Proverbs chapter 26, verse 22. Anyone can, sorry, verse 2, not 22. Proverbs chapter 6, verse 2. If you are there, please go ahead and read for us. Proverbs chapter 26, verse 2. All right. Um, Proverbs chapter 26, verse 2. Um, I'm not sure what happened, but I, my Zoom probably went off and is back. And I know you can't see me. That's fine. Just, just give me a minute. We'll be back on. So Proverbs chapter 26, verse 2. Anyone there, please read for us. No one there? Okay, let me read. Proverbs 26, verse 2. As a bird by wandering, as the swallow by flying, so the cause causeless shall not stand. Praise God. Can you guys hear me? Let me just... Let me just show. Can you guys hear me? Can you see me? Yes. Okay. All right. Thank you. Yes. Good. good. So it, um, it says, as a bird by wandering, as the swallow by flying, so the curse causeless shall not stand. Um, so I should please read from the NLT, if you are there. NLT for me, please. Like a fluttering sparrow or a darting swallow. An undeserved cost will not land on its intended victim. Thank you very much. It says that, so it gives, it starts with that illustration. It says, just like a bird that is hovering in the air, that's pretty much, pretty much what he was saying. That just like, like a bird that keeps on hovering over the air and keeps on hovering and doesn't find a place to land. It now says that so also an undeserving curse shall not land upon its intended, um, intended targets. Okay. Now, what this means is that if there is no legal basis for a curse, then the curse will not stand. Meaning that if any curse is, is being experienced, maybe in your life personally, or you witness it in your family or in, someone, or in someone else's life, that means there must have been a legal ground for the curse to have, to have landed on that person or on that community or that family or on that nation. Because like I said, the devil is very intelligent when it comes to legal matters. <clears throat> So when you see a, a pattern that is not of God, keep, that keeps on recurring and recurring, right, in a person's life, it is because the, the, the person's life or whatever the reason may have been, that there must have been a legal reason for that course to have landed, okay? That's just to show you how the spiritual realm works, that things don't just happen coincidentally. Someone cannot just wake up one morning and say, um, I just want this to happen. There has to be a legal right for that thing to happen in the realm of the spirit. And remember that everything starts from the realm of the spirit before it transfers and manifests itself into the physical realm, okay? Now, I want to show us a practical example about this in the book of Numbers. Remember that that a curse causeless shall not stand, meaning there's no legal reason for a 
for a course to stay, it will not stay. <clears throat> and let me just say this, and please don't be scared or, or anything. And um, if you are not in Nigeria listening to this, um, you might not appreciate the depth of what I'm about to say, but, but it's spiritually true. That if you see in a family, let me just say, I give you an insight, that the way, this, the, way the kingdom of darkness works is this, that it is difficult, in fact, it is actually impossible for a, for a witch that does not belong to a particular um, family line, right? It's impossible for that witch to cause havoc in that family if it's not part of the family, except somebody in the family gives the witch or the, or the um, jazzman or the herbalist, right? Or the witch doctor, yes. Unless somebody in the family gives that witch doctor access into the family, if not, it is impossible for an external party, right, or a witch doctor that does not belong to that family to inflict the family because there are certain spiritual modalities. Thinking about this, I need to, just one minute, I need to write something down. Because um, I need to explain something to you, to us at the end of this. John chapter 1, verse 14. Okay, all right. So I just want to keep that in for us to know. Anyways, let's go back to our example. So in the book of Numbers, we see a practical example, all right? So Numbers chapter, you know what? Numbers chapter 22. So the entire story is found in Numbers chapter 22, um, from chapter 22 to chapter 24. But obviously we can't read all of that now. So I'm going to summarize um, the story and then read just some certain verses for us. But this is the story of, of the Israelites and, and um, Balak, the king of Moab. How that Balak was threatened by the, by the Israelites and wanted to wanted to afflict Moab. I'm sorry, wanted to afflict Israel rather. And he went to look for a prophet called Balaam. And the 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 only um, work that Balaam had was to release a curse upon upon Israel. And when he does that, Balak will have an advantage to you know attack Israel and all of that. Okay. So I want us to. Follow me, this story gradually. We can't read everything, but please, I encourage you, read it. Numbers chapter 22 to chapter 24. you find the entire story there. So the first thing I want us to look at now is in Numbers chapter 22. Let us read verse 5 and verse 6. Numbers 22, verse 5 and 6. Someone should please read for us if you are there. Numbers 22, verse 5 and 6. Yeah. And it says, I'm just going to start from the end of verse 4. Okay. So Balak, king of Moab, sent messengers to call Balaam, son of Beor, who was living in his native land of Pethor, near the Euphrates River. His message said, look, a vast horde of people has arrived from Egypt. They cover the face of the earth and are threatening me. Please come and curse these people for me because they are too powerful for me. Then perhaps I'll be able to conquer them and drive them from the land. I know that blessings fall on any people you bless and curses fall on people you curse. Praise God. Praise God. Thank you. Thanks so much, Amy. Um, so this is what, what Balak, and, and I want you to see the logic, the spiritual intelligence that Balak had. 
So Balak noticed that the children of Israel were many and there were threats to him. However, Balak did not wake up and take his army to go and fight the Israelites immediately. He knew that that's not the way things operate on the earth. So he said, first of all, what I'm going to do is that I'm going to set these people, put them at a disadvantage. And what he, what he wanted to do was release a curse upon Israel so that if there's a curse upon Israel, he will not have the advantage to defeat them in battle. All right? And that was the way Balak thought about it. And this to show you how that things don't just happen on earth. There's, there has to be something spiritually legal that gives them, um, gives, them, gives them the right to manifest on earth. Remember when Moses, um, when Moses sent Joshua to conquer the Amalekites? Joshua, uh, Moses went up to the mountain while Joshua went to the battlefield. And as long as Moses' hands were up, they were winning the battle in the field down there. But when his hands came down, they lost, they were losing. So it's to show you that things, first of all, start from the realm of the spirit. Never forget that. If you see a particular challenge, let's say you're applying for, for a job and you haven't gotten a job, or you've been trying to get something and for some unknown reason, just it's just difficult. It tells you that, first of all, address it in the realm of the spirit before you start making efforts in the natural, okay? And this is exactly what Balak did. So his sole purpose of calling um, Balaam was so that he would curse them. And if he causes, if Balaam causes them, um, he'll, be an, he'll be at a, an advantage over them. That Balak would be at an advantage over them. Now, there was something also that Balak knew about this man, Balaam. Balaam is such a, I mean, Balaam is one of the strange prophets in the Bible, okay? Because the Bible doesn't, I mean, Balaam wasn't an Israelite, all right? But somehow Balaam had a prophetic grace and it was so powerful that anybody he causes was cursed and anybody he blessed was blessed. And I'm sure that the news must have spread around around, around that vicinity. So Balak knew that I just need to get this man to curse these people, okay? And when you read down, you see that he employed several strategies. He tried to persuade him. He tried to bribe him by offering him position, by giving him so much wealth and, and honor. He sent um, delegates, special delegates of dignitary to Balaam and all of that. But Balaam couldn't do anything until God, or unless God gave him permission. So Balaam told Balak that I can't speak anything unless God tells me to speak it. All right. So all of that is in the story. But the next thing I want to point out to us is in chapter 23. So still in the book of Numbers, chapter 23, verse 20 to 21, it would, I want us to see a legal reason why, a legal reason why um, um, Balaam could not successfully curse Israel. All right. So Numbers 23, verse 20 and 21. You can read for us if you are there. Numbers 23, just the next chapter, verse 20, verse 20 and 21. Listen, All right. to blessed. God has blessed, and I cannot reverse it. No misfortune in his in his plan for Jacob. No trouble is in store for Israel. For the Lord their God is with them. He has been proclaimed their king. Praise God. <clears throat> Let me read that from the KJV, please. He says, um, um, I think I've received verse 20. I've received commandments to bless and have blessed, and I cannot reverse it. Verse 21 He had not beheld iniquity in Jacob. So, this is Balaam was telling Balak that God had not beheld iniquity in Jacob. So, he had not seen any sin or any iniquity um, in Jacob. All right. And he says that he had 
uh, neither had he seen perverseness in Israel. So Balaam was telling <clears throat> Balaam was telling Balak that one of the reasons why I cannot successfully cause Israel is because there's no iniquity in them, there's no sin in them, there's no perverseness in them, meaning that they are they are in such an alignment with God that there's no basis for your cause to hold. Remember when we read in the book of Proverbs, a curse causeless shall not stand. So there was no basis for the cause to even land upon Israel, okay? And um, that's what Balaam was telling Balak, that there's no iniquity, there's no sin, there's no perverseness in Israel, so I cannot cause them, all right? And this is very important as we will, if I, let, let us, let's talk about it now. You know, as Christians, it is true that Jesus has died for us and it was free, we did not have to pay for it. Um, we have received his grace, we have received forgiveness of sins, everything free of charge. However, if a believer continues in sin, right, even though he's born again, what he's doing is that he's giving the devil legal basis to lay accusations against him. He's giving the devil legal rights to accuse him in the realm of the spirit. And because it is a legal matter, those accusations will hold because of the error that the believer is walking in. Now, when the believer is still the child of God, that one hasn't changed. The believer is still the child of God. God still loves the believer. God still loves that believer. But if that believer continues in sin, what happens is that the enemy will have legal grounds to lay accusations against that believer in the realm of the spirit. And if that believer does not repent and um, apply the blood of Jesus, those accusations will stand as long as the reason for accusations still persists. All right? And uh, that's why we're going to still look at this later. But that's why Jesus Christ said um, in John chapter 14 that the prince of this world comes, but he has found nothing in me. Meaning there's nothing in my life that gives the devil an accusation to lay hold on. All right? And it's important as, believer, as believers to understand this. That when, we, when the Bible emphasizes walking in holiness, walking in purity, walking in, in sanctification, it's not just because we want to show that we are superior, but because a lot of, of, a lot of the things that happen in the realm of the Spirit hinges upon our alignment and our accuracy with God. In fact, right, there are certain misfortune or certain disasters that can only be avoided when you are walking in alignment with God. Because once you are walking, remember the Bible says that the enemy is like a roaring lion looking for who to devour. Meaning the moment you walk in alignment, the devil doesn't have a right to devour you. And, and that is your security, praise God. So I just want to mention, mention that. So yes, Balaam could not accuse, could, could not curse Israel because of the alignment. The third thing I want to mention here is that uh, it's found in chapter 25. Chapter 25, verse 1 to 4. So please read for us. We're still in the book of Numbers, chapter 25, verse 1 to 4. Okay, let me read that. And Israel abode in Shittim, and the people began to commit wardom. That means they began to commit um, sexual immorality <clears throat> with the daughters of Moab. So remember that it was the same Moab that, um, um, that their king, Balak, wanted to inflict a curse on Israel so that he could defeat them. But he was not successful. However, we see something happening that um, the, is, um, the um, Israelites began to commit adultery and, um, and, and sexual immorality with the daughters of Moab, right? And they called the people and they called the people unto the sacrifices of their gods, meaning the Moabites, the daughters of Moab now brought the Israelites to be part of their sacrifices unto their idols. 
and they did they did eat and bowed down to their gods. Okay, and Israel joined herself unto Baal, Baal, Baal Peor. Please forget. I don't. I'm not an Israelite. Pardon my pronunciation. Anyway, they bowed themselves unto their idol, and the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. And the Lord said unto Moses, Take all the heads of the people and hang them up before the Lord and against the sun. And the first anger of the Lord, um, that the first anger of the Lord may be turned away from Israel. So God was so angry with them, and his anger, there was an outburst of, of plague, and, and Israelites were destroyed, and God told Moses what to do. But what I want to point out is that the Israelites began to, you know, remember in verse 23, we saw that there was no iniquity, right? They were they were okay, they were good, they was they were in alignment. But by, by chapter 25, they began to commit sexual immorality with the Moabites. And the result of that was that their defense began to weaken. In fact, their defense was weak and they could now be attacked. How do I know this? Go to chapter 31, verse 15 and 16 quickly. Let me just show you. Let me show you what, what, what actually happened. Chapter 31, verse, um, verse 15 and 16. And Moses said unto them, <clears throat> Amos said unto them, Have you saved all the women alive? Behold, this caused the children of Israel through the counsel of Balaam to commit trespass against the Lord in the matter of, of Peor. Of Peor. And there was a plague among the congregation of the Lord. Now let me explain what happened. So remember that Balaam had tried several times to curse the Israelites, but it couldn't work because they were, they were perfect. And so um, Balak left and um, Balaam also left. So Balaam is the prophet. Balak, Balak was the king. What now happened was that later, Balaam caved into the pre to the pressure and to the gifts from the king. And he now told the king and said, see, I can't, excuse me, I can't curse these people because they are perfect and they are in alignment with God. However, let me tell you what to do. If you want to be able to defeat these people, lead them into sin. All right, lead them into, let them depart from the way of the Lord. And once they do that, they will now be vulnerable and, and exposed spiritually to, to attack. So their defense will be weakened and you can now strike them. And that, that was the advice that Balaam, the prophet, eventually gave to Balak. And so we see in, verse, in chapter 25 that there was just an influx of women from, from the Moabites. And the Israelites, being insensitive, they began to commit sexual immorality with them. And because of that, in fact, they didn't have to, um, um, Bela didn't have to attack them. God himself was angry and there was an outburst of plague, all right? So I said all this to say that whenever we expose ourselves to, um, to, to iniquity, to, to whenever we get out of alignment, we are vulnerable to the attacks of the enemy. And that gives the devil a legal basis to lay accusations against us. So this is not to make us scared, of course, but this is just to make us aware of how the spirit realm works, that every time you go out of alignment, and that's why it's important as a believer, the moment you realize you've done something wrong, that same moment repents. Because the, the longer you stay in, the longer you stay out of alignment, the more exposed you are to the attacks of the enemy. Praise Jesus. All right, so now having said all of this, the Bible says, resist the devil and he will flee. All right. So how do we resist the devil? Um, that's James chapter 4, verse 7. The Bible says, submit yourselves to God, resist the devil, and he will flee. Um, First Peter says, your adversary, the, the, the enemy, 
is like you know, the, your adversary, the devil, is like a roaring lion looking for who for who to devour. He now says, "Whom steadfast resist?" So the question now is, how do we resist the devil? All right, I would have taken suggestions from us, but I just looked at my clock and it's um, time is fast spent. So I'm just going to go straight into it. All right. But if you have been following so far, just give me a thumbs up or chat, drop something in the chat. Let me show we are all together. Okay, thumbs up from Faith. Uh, thank you, thumbs up from Idara. Anyone else following? Anyone else following with a thumbs up or just drop something in the group? Okay, thumbs up from Emily. All right, thank you guys. So you're following. Um, so how do we resist the devil? Thank you, Miriam. Thumbs up from you as well. Okay, so how do we resist the devil? It's a, and when I mean resist the devil now, remember, we're all talking in a legal context. Because someone will say, well, I resist the devil by just saying, I resist you in the name of Jesus. Well, if it was not a legal context, that would be perfect. Okay, thumbs up from Ronke. Thank you. So if that was not a legal context, that would have been straightforward. Just rebuke the devil and resist him. After all, there are several instances in the book of, in the Gospels, where Satan rebuked the devil and he left. But when it is a legal context, the way we resist the devil is slightly, is slightly different, all right? And I'm just going to show us <clears throat> from scripture, number one way, Revelation chapter 12, verse 10 to 11. Some of you might have guessed this already. Revelation chapter 12, verse 10 to 11. Please read for us if you are there. Revelation chapter 12, verses 10 and 11. Anyone, anyone, please read for us. Revelation chapter 12. Um, Vivian, if you are there, can you read for us? Vivian, if you are there, please read for us. Revelation chapter 10, verse, sorry, chapter 12, verse 10 to 11. Are you there, Vivian? Okay, she's not there. So anyone, please, anyone that is there, please go ahead, read for us. Revelation 12, 10 to 11. Yes, please. Okay. Then I heard a loud voice shouting across the heavens. It has come at last. Salvation and power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters being thrown down to the earth, the one who accuses them before our God day and night, and they have defeated him by the blood of the Lamb and by their testimony, and they did not love their lives so much that they were afraid to die. Praise God. Thank you, Dara. So I'm going to explain. I'm going to. I'm going to try to be as practical as possible. Um, especially in this aspect, because we need to know how to bring it home to ourselves after reading all that we've read. So this was an experience that happened in heaven that John was was private to, all right? John the, 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 John the Beloved. And he said that the accuser had been cast down. Again, remember, when we, when we hear the word the accuser, this is now a legal, a legal context. So he says that the accuser has been cast down into the earth, and then... Verse 11 now gives us an insight as to how he has been overcome. He says, and they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of the testimony. So the first way we are cute, the first way we resist the devil is by the blood of Jesus. 
But I also need to explain that so you're not just so, so that when we say the blood of Jesus, we understand what we're saying. All right, our, we, we know that we're not just saying the blood of Jesus because we watch it in a Nigerian movie, but we understand the spiritual implication of, of, of invoking the blood of Jesus in our in our legal conversations and legal prayers. Okay. However, I say that here they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of the testimony. So before I explain the blood of the lamb, let me just explain um the when say the word of testimony. What that means is that they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by their testimony about what the blood has done for them. So in a practical situation, if I if if there's something going on in my life that I, I sense it's a legal battle, it's a legal warfare, and maybe it's it is it has occurred over and over, and I know that this thing is is um is legal. The way I go about it is I I resist I resist the devil with the knowledge of what the blood of Jesus Christ has done for me. So let's assume that uh, someone has a cyclical sickness. What that means is maybe the person falls sick every every month of March, for instance. And now the person is aware that for it, for this to be cyclical means that there must be a legal basis for this to always keep happening. If it happens one, we'll say, okay, maybe the person was exposed to cold or something, something. But the fact that it happens every month of March means there's a legal basis. So the person goes to prayer and says, and says, Satan, I, I come against you by the blood of Jesus because the blood of Jesus has bought me completely and I no longer belong to darkness. I belong to the kingdom of light. In the kingdom of light, according to the purchase of the blood, I cannot be sick. Because the blood was shed for me, any legal accusation, the blood now answers it. And so the best person begins to present what the blood has done for him in that matter. So it is not just a generic saying to say, oh, I rebuke you, I, I, I plead the blood of Jesus. You also need to know what the blood of Jesus has done for you. If it's a financial legal matter, what has the blood of Jesus done for you um, that guarantees you freedom financially? If it is um, in any area, academic, think of any area, you need to know how the blood of Jesus Christ has set you free or has brought about liberation in that particular area. So that's what it means by, by it says we've overcome them by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of our testimony. Now, to explain the blood of the Lamb, I need to, first of all, let me, let me start with a very popular one and we won't be able to read this scripture, but please take note of it. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 24 the Bible lets us know that the blood of Jesus Christ speaks better things than the blood of Abel. And if you remember our Bible study on um, um, on where we talked about witnesses, what was the topic now? Um, when we talked about the three witnesses, the three that um, um, that witness in heaven, the Spirit, the Word, and the sorry, in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Spirit, and then on earth, um, the Spirit, the blood, and the and water. So when we talked about that, remember we mentioned that the blood speaks. Okay, so you need to know that the blood speaks. And if the blood speaks, where does the blood speak? The blood speaks in the courts of heaven. So you need to know how to get the blood of Jesus to speak for you in the courts of heaven. All right. You need to know that the blood of Jesus has the potential to speak and it speaks in the courts of heaven for us. Okay, so I want to read something in Exodus chapter 22, um, chapter 12 and try and explain this to us in, in a, in a new, new Testament context. So quickly, we're going to read Exodus chapter 12. You know, this is Bible study, so we're reading a lot of scriptures. Um, you will bear with us, right? We just have to read a lot of scriptures to understand it. Exodus chapter 12, verse 22. 
Um, if you're there, you can read for us Exodus 12, 22 and 23. Exodus chapter 12, 22 and 23. All right, let me read it then. And you, so this was Moses, right? And, and God speaking to Moses says, and you shall take a bunch of high soap and dip it in the blood that, it is, that is in the basin and strike the lintel or strike the lintel and the two side posts with the blood that is in the basin. And none of you shall go out at the door of his house until morning. For the Lord will pass through to smite the Egyptians. And when he seared the blood upon the lintel and upon the two side posts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not suffer the destroyer to come into to come in onto your houses to smite you. Okay, now the, like we, would, we already know, this is the story of um, of Israel just before they left Egypt, and how that God had to strike the firstborn sons of all the Egyptians. <clears throat> but but the way God went about it was this: It's not as if the angel of death was only going to come to just the Egyptian camp. The angel of death was going to visit the whole city, the whole country, everywhere. The angel of death was going to visit. So this is what God told the Israelites, that you take the blood and apply it on the doorpost and the lintels of your, of your, of your house. That means on the door and the windows, window posts and everything. That when you apply the blood there, when the angel of death comes and he sees the blood, he's going to pass over. That means any house that doesn't have the blood um, 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 posted on the, on the lintels, on the doorpost, that the angel of death will have the permission to go in. So what was the what was the legal logical reason or what was God trying to teach the Israelites? And this is this is this also pertains to our salvation, all right? And the spiritual implication for this was that God was telling the Israelites that you see the angel of death is the angel of death. That's his name, meaning that he's all he's going to look for death. However, the angel of death cannot visit the house twice. So God instructed the Israelites to put their blood on the doorpost. As a sign that death has already occurred in this house. Meaning, when the angel of death comes and sees blood, the angel knows, sees the blood and says, Oh, death has already happened in this house. I cannot visit where death has happened twice. So he sees the blood and he goes to the next house. He sees the blood and moves to the next house. So every house that has blood is an indication that death has already occurred. So the angel of death cannot have go there. Why is this so? Because the Bible tells us that the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life, all right? And the Bible tells us in the book of, um, of Genesis that when man sinned, the, the, the punishment for man's sin was death. And when, when man, when Jesus Christ came to die for us, he died in our stead so that we all wouldn't have to die because the Bible, Romans explains to us that one, one person died so, um, so that the rest of us wouldn't die. I'm, I'm paraphrasing and combining several scriptures right now. What that, what, what that explains to us is that Jesus Christ came as a substitution, just as the lamb that they sacrificed also was a substitution, so that their own firstborns didn't need to die. So Jesus Christ came also as a substitu substitution, so that the rest of us would not die. So whenever we plead the blood of Jesus, what we are saying is that we are presenting the blood of Jesus as an evidence that death has already happened, so I don't need to die again. And somebody might be saying, but my case is not pertaining to death. Let me tell you, the greatest attack of the devil, the, the height of the of devil's attack is death. 
That is the peak of the devil's um, um, weapon, is death. And that's why the Bible says that the last enemy to be, to be, to be defeated will be death, uh, meaning the last enemy to be, um, to be rendered harmless, with, um, harmless rather, will be death. The height of the devil's um, attack is death, meaning that if, God, if Jesus conquered death, then there is nothing else you will, you will experience that Jesus has not already conquered. Do you get that? So whenever we plead the blood of Jesus, we are saying that we are presenting the proof that Jesus Christ died on my behalf so that anything in my life, even to even as bad as death, will no longer occur to me. Anything that enemy plans for me, even as terrible as death, will no longer occur in my life. Do we, do we get that? So that's why God told the Israelites, put the blood on the doorpost so that when the angel of death comes, you know that death has happened here. So I, it cannot happen again. And this is how this is the reason why we plead the blood of Jesus. So when we say we plead the blood of Jesus, what happens in the courts of heaven is that we are presenting the blood of Jesus as the legal evidence that the punishment for our sin or whatever the devil is accusing us of, that punishment has already been carried out in Jesus Christ. So we are set free. We are liberated from any bondage, any, any, any reason that the enemy may have. For instance, if the devil is accusing, placing accusations, let's assume you were, and let's say you were in the world, and when you were in the world, you know, we're all around the place, and maybe you did committed abortion at some point. And then the devil comes before God and says, Look at this um so 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 person. Because she committed abortion, she doesn't have any rights to have any children again in her life. What would you what that person should do when the person goes to praise is to present the blood of Jesus and says, Yes, in my before I met Jesus Christ, I was in the world. I committed abortion. However, now that I've come to Christ, I apply the blood of Jesus Christ and his death so that the punishment for all that I have done can no longer hold on my life anymore because Jesus Christ has taken it. So the blood of Jesus Christ is the proof, is the receipt that the, the payment for my wrong has already been, been executed. Did you get that? Let me give one more example. It's assuming that um, I owe somebody um, $5,000, for instance, and I don't have any way to pay, I don't have any means to pay that person. What now happens is, so my friend comes and says, Victor, you know what, don't worry about $5,000, I will pay the person. <clears throat> and that my friend now pays my, my debtor the $5,000 and collects a receipt from that debtor and gives it to me. If tomorrow that person begins to act funny and says, I want to check whether Victor knows this person has paid for him or not. So the person comes and says, Victor, you owe me $5,000. You owe me $5,000. I will not I will not come and start telling the person, no, but my friend said he paid. My friend said he paid. No, 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 no. What I will do is I will take the receipt and show the person and say, and say this is the receipt that my friend already paid. That is exactly what the blood of Jesus is to us. The blood of Jesus is the receipt that we present in the courts of heaven to say, Jesus already paid, so this thing cannot happen in my life anymore. Praise God. All right, so I have combined several things in one, and I think I'll just move on quickly. Oop, the last way we resist the, the devil, um, no, 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 when I mean the last way, the last way we are going to look at today, there are several other, other ways, but um, just two I wanted us to look at today. I saw the first thing I said was the blood of Jesus. The second thing um, is your knowledge of let, let me read it the way I wrote it. Knowledge of your constitutional rights as revealed in the word of God. 
knowledge of your constitutional rights as revealed as revealed in the word of God. Meaning that, remember, this is a legal setting. So you don't, in the court, in the court you, don't, you don't come and say, oh, but this person said this, but I said this. No, you present the law. You said, but it is written in section four, paragraph 25, that um, my, my sin has been taken away. So if I, it is written that, that um, he took away my sins and my infirmities, and by his stripes I have been healed. That is a legal presentation. So you need to know what the word of God says about your life. You need to know what the word of God says about you. Okay, there are a couple of scriptures I would have read, but let me just read one scripture for us before we pray. Psalm 149, verse 6 and uh, verse 6 to 9. Psalm 149. So remember, this is a legal context. Psalm 149, verse 6 to verse 9. All right, let me read it for us. Um, it says, Let the high praises of God be in their mouth and a two-edged sword in their hand. Remember, the Bible says that the word of God is quick and powerful, sharper than a two-edged sword. So that two-edged sword is, that it talks about here in verse 6 is significant and is representative of the word of God. <clears throat> okay? It says, um, To execute vengeance upon the heathen and punishment upon the people. It says, To bind their kings with chains and their nobles with fetters of iron. It now says, To execute upon them judgment. So it's put upon them the judgment written. It says, this is the honor. It says, this honor have all the saints praising the Lord. So part of the honor that we have, part of the privilege that we have as children of God is that we have access to God's word. We have access to the constitution of the, of the, of the, um, of the spirit realm to say that based on the word of God, this thing and this thing should happen in my life because this is what the constitution presents, all right? So for you to be able to effectively um, prosecute legal prayers, you need to arm yourself with the knowledge of God's word. Because if you don't know the word, the devil himself will twist the word of God and it will sound like it is true, but it is not true. So you must be knowledgeable about the word of God so you can present your strong reasons. That's what the book of Isaiah says. Present your strong reasons. Bring your matter. Let's, let's argue it. Present it logically from the word of God. All right. When I mean logically, I mean spiritually, logically from the word of God. And in that way, you can resist the devil. <clears throat> how did I get my? How did I get my experience of walking in perfect health? It was from this, from the, from the scripture in First Peter that says, "He himself took away our infirmities, and by his stripes we have been healed." So I said, if Jesus Christ took away, then whatever I'm feeling is illegal in my body. And that that particular time, I was feeling, I was actually feeling sick, and I said, no. That whatever I'm feeling is illegal because according to the constitution, he has already taken it away. It's like saying somebody took away my chair and I'm seeing a chair. That means that chair is illegal in my parlor because it has been taken away. So if Jesus took away my sickness, then whatever I'm feeling is illegal. And once I, I got to terms with that, I could easily um, rebuke it and it left. All right. So we're going to pray. Um, we, have, we have gone far. But before we pray, let me just say, take two questions if anybody has two questions before we pray. Um, anyone with a question for us today? Based on all we shared, I know that, um, I, I guess I was, I was fast at some point, but um, there's just so much to cram in, in, into one teaching. So anyone with a question based off on what we've talked about? Anyone, anyone? Okay, nobody. Nobody with a question. All right. Um, 
Um, let's pray. Let's pray. And this is what we're going to pray. I want you to think about your 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 life, right? And just um, okay, before I say the prayer point, let me tell us two things. Two ways you know things that are that are occurring or things that are legally um that are based off on legal accusations or legal um legal spiritual events or spiritual legalities, right? Two ways you know. Number one, if that thing is not of God, but it is cyclical, it is repeat, repetitive, that means it keeps happening all over and over, but it is not of God, then you know that it is a spiritual, um, it's, it's a spiritual it requires spiritual legal attention. So if it's happening over and over, like I said, if somebody keeps on falling sick at the particular season of the, of the year, then it is legally spiritual. If, it's, if someone keeps on losing a um, certain amount of money or just something that always happens over and over, Right, it has a legal basis in the realm of the spirit. Number two way is that if it is generational, meaning you notice a pattern that it happened with your father, or it happened with your uncle, or it happened with your mother in, in one generation, and it's it's proceeding to happen in your life, and probably you're even seeing it in the life of all your other cousins or your other siblings, then you know that the matter it is legal because. It requires spiritual intelligence to transfer an experience to one from one generation to another generation. And this is not only true in a negative light, it's also true in a spiritual light. If you keep on seeing that a particular family, everyone just keeps on serving God, serving God from one generation to another. That means somebody in that generation had a legal, um, gave God a legal access to ensure that his generation serves God. So I want us to pray now that, and I, I don't know what, Think about your life. Think about things that are going on and, and stuff. If there's anything you identify in your life that keeps on occurring over and over and is a legal matter, now I want you to present the blood of Jesus against it. All right? And we're, we're praying and we're saying, by the blood of Jesus Christ, we come against this occurrence. By the blood of Jesus Christ, we resist this occurrence. Okay? Is that prayer point clear enough? Um, please just give me a thumbs up if it is if it's clear enough. If you understand the prayer point, just give me a thumbs up. Okay, I see a thumbs up from Ore, from Idara. Okay, good. Anyone else? Is the prayer point clear enough? Okay, great. Thank you. So it's clear enough, okay? So I want us to pray, right? Just think about it. Whatever is, whatever is not of God, um, that keeps on happening again as a legal matter, let's table it before God in the place of prayer for the next uh, five minutes. Let us pray. Remember, we're saying that we resist it by the blood of Jesus. We come against it by the blood of Jesus. Remember, the blood of Jesus speaks for us in the courts of heaven. The blood of Jesus speaks for us in the courts of heaven. So we are saying we come against this and we stand against it by the blood of Jesus Christ. This event, this experience, this pattern, we resist it in the name of Jesus Christ. If it's a sickness resisted by the power of Jesus, if it's a pattern that, that, that hasn't allowed you to break forth into, into a, greater, a greater dimension, if it's a weakness that your father had and your grandfather had, your uncles had the same weakness, 
No, tell the devil today, no, enough of it We resist by the blood of Jesus Christ. Satan will rebuke you in my Uraka Paramaka any witness that is trying to transgenerational, any event that is transgenerational, any limitation that is transgenerational, any pattern that has seen that has found legal access into my life, I present the blood of Jesus today. I come against it by the blood of Jesus, by the blood of Jesus, by the blood of Jesus. Because Jesus already died, I don't need to go through this again. I present the blood of Jesus as the evidence of my liberty, as the evidence of my freedom, as the evidence of my of my of my right in Christ Jesus. I present the blood of Jesus Christ, and I say to you, Satan, I rebuke you by the blood. I rebuke you by the blood. I rebuke you by the blood. I stand against your works by the blood. Your voice or your words of accusation, I rebuke it. For the Bible says that no weapon formed against me shall prosper. And any tongue that rises up against me in judgment, I condemn it. Therefore, I come with the blood of Jesus and I condemn every accusation presented in the courts of heaven against me by the enemy. I resist it. I present the blood of Jesus and I rebuke every, every accusing tongue. I rebuke every accusing tongue, whether it is based off on something I did in the past, maybe something I did in my ignorance, maybe something that even my fathers may have done, that the enemy has found a legal um, um, right to, to, to accuse me on. I present the blood of Jesus against, uh, against the enemy today. I present the blood of Jesus and I say no. I stop the hand of the devil over my life. I stop the hand of the devil over my family. I resist your hand, O Satan. Satan, I rebuke you. Satan, I rebuke you. Satan, I rebuke you. By the blood of Jesus, I resist your act. I will not fall prey to your schemes and to your devices. I am not ignorant of your methods. I say no. Your accusations presenting and speaking against me, the realm of the spirit, I present the blood of Jesus. For the blood of Jesus speaks better things than the blood of Adam. The blood of Jesus speaks, speaks liberty for me. The blood of Jesus speaks mercy for me. The blood of Jesus speaks justice on my behalf. The blood of Jesus speaks for me. 
Baruto Kushiga Gaparuskati, Ratakonoski Saperonti, Ratapatoski, Ebreska Bakula, Ebresko Kotoriske, Rasko Pakatushe, based on what the word of God has shown me. I stand my ground and I declare, Satan, you have no right. For the Bible says, for this reason, what was the Son of God manifest to destroy the works of the devil? Therefore, I declare that the works of the devil in my life is destroyed because Jesus Christ is manifest in my heart. Because Jesus is manifest in my life, I declare that every work of the devil be destroyed. Every 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 ground that the enemy has occupied in my life, I rebuke you in the name of Jesus Christ. Rekotoko by the blood of the Lamb. So the Bible says that we overcame it by the blood of the Lamb and by the words of our testimony. We declare the name of Jesus Christ. That Satan will resist you, we resist you, we resist you. Marako Shantani Bracotisie Ratocola Brigi Barasconte Siska Parasco Pomaditi Ratagoshida Caparisco Roske Bacato Coranda Machila Masuti Redo Gopalanta Chica E Parasco Sukeleto. Jesus, we worship you. Thank you, everlasting Father. In Jesus' name, we pray. In Jesus' name. Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, we thank you because your blood indeed speaks better things um, for us than the blood of Abel. So therefore, we come presenting the blood of Jesus Christ and we rebuke any ground that the enemy has conquered. We rebuke the devil and his manifestation in our lives. Any activity, any pattern, any weakness, any symptom that the devil that is manifesting in our lives as a result of the legal accusations of the enemy. This evening, we present the blood of Jesus and we rebuke your hand, Satan, in the name of Jesus Christ. We declare that he that the Son has set free is free indeed. And we are the ones that the Son has set free. So we stand on, the, on, the, on our rights according to the word of God and we declare that we are set free in the mighty name of Jesus. Thank you, everlasting Father. In Jesus' mighty name, we have prayed. Amen. 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 Thank you. Thank you. I mean, so let me just say this here. Please, after this, from between now and next week, continue this prayer. And let me tell you what's going to happen. That the more you pray this, the more God will open your eyes to things that you need to address in your life. You know, you might be ignorant of some things and not even know that these are, are legal patterns or legal accusations that enemy is projecting in your life. So the more you pray this, the more God shows you things that he says, address this. Oh, there's no time I would have shared with you some things. That how that, in 100 level, I had a carryover for a one unit course. In 200 level, I had a carryover for the same course. And I said, no, 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 no. This matter is no longer a, a by chance matter. I had to go to God in prayer. And I prayed and I declared that there'll be no carryover again. And from 300 level, even when I had every right to, to have a carryover, that means I didn't write the exam at all. Yet God intervened and I never had a carryover again. So you just need to stand your ground, right? And observe your life. If there is a pattern, then you need to address it legally in the realm of the spirit. All right. So let's do that this week. Um, I hope we're blessed. I don't know if I can take feedback from one person. Just one thing you learned today. And you're applying this week. Just one person. One person and we're, we're shutting down. Anyone coming to our rescue. Just one thing you learned today. And you will put in practice this week. Anyone? 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 Hallelujah. Praise God. It was quite an expository teaching, particularly on the blood. 
the aspect that really opened my eyes that death had already occurred where blood was already shed and put on the lintel of the house. Mm. That death, uh, the Lamb of God was to be slain once and for all. Mm. So the, the Lamb was slain and the blood was applied. The dead angels saw that death had already occurred. I've never seen the scripture in that light. So it's really blessed me. I was just screaming from the kitchen for mm. that on the so I thank God for that. Hallelujah. Thank you so much, Mom. Um, thanks for that. For that um, okay, so we're going to close today. Um, oh, one last thing before we go. Is anyone, is, is anyone here joining us for the first time? Just tell us your name and tell us who invited you and where you're joining us from. Anyone like that with us? Um, for the first time. I see Olu Busayo. I don't know if this is your first time, um, but please introduce yourself and just tell us who invited you and where you're joining us from, if you're there. Hi there, Olu Busayo. Um, I'm not sure I can pronounce your surname. But yeah, Olu Busayo, are you there? Okay, not there. All right. So yeah, see us next week, same time, same, same link. Um, same time and we would also next week finally we're going to move to fasting and prayer so next week we're going to talk about fasting and prayer and um you know it's been an exciting time we'll see the 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 power of it i'm tempted to even start talking about it but we'll see the power of fasting and prayer very important and then the week after that by god's grace if we're able to finish um fasting and prayer next week then the following week we'll talk about praying in tongues and then we will now have a special um, Bible study session of just prayer. No teaching, just prayer. Alright, so looking forward to the next coming weeks. Have a blessed week and see you guys next week. Bye. Bye. Bye, everyone. Bye-bye. <laughs> Bye. -bye. Bye.